Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Oh, hey there, Gordo Tremblay. Good to meet you, dude. Beauty studio you got here, eh? Much better than the CBC up in Winnipeg there. That fella Gavin in the back told me I should bring this up for you. I got you two, four Mickeys there. Because, you know, we're working, so I thought I'd keep it light there. Anyway, you know, he's kind of a hoser, eh? The following podcast contains... Oh, what the f*** did you do that for? Hey, that was... Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swearwolves. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you thought you could be drafted via a text message, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, ex-senior airman Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, January 10th, 2020. Greetings from the President of the United States edition of the show, where we talk about going to war for funsies. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Gord Tremblay, Deputy Minister of Apologies for the Government of Canada. So, uh, Gavin, kill the music and, uh, I guess, take it away, Gord. Oh, sorry about that. I had to get my microphone on there. Okay, uh, okay. good day. How are you doing, eh? So uh, on behalf of the government of Canada, I'm Gordo Tremblay. I'm the Deputy Minister of Apologies for the Canadian government. And uh, I want to say sorry to you, some Americans that are involved in another one of your uh, pointless and futile wars there. Also, we're sorry that we got to announce that we're not going to be taking draft dodgers from the states this time around. We've got a lot of you Americans who came up there in the 60s there in the positions that uh, those guys fill in our country economy. They're all, they, uh, you know, they're doing stuff like uh, hemp farming or folk singing or beating and or like tie-dyeing there. Uh, you know, they're still there because uh, we got good health care and uh, an increased level of stress by not having a moron for our prime minister there. So uh, if in the future there we got openings and related fields, says I don't know, so stay sandal strap repair or hacky sacking or professors of 11th century French Catholic heritage, uh, we'll look into allowing maybe a limited number of draft dodgers over the border at that time. Eh? So again, sorry about that there, but uh, I don't know what can you do. On behalf of your northern neighbors, I'm Gordo Tremblay, the Deputy Minister of Apologies for Canada. Uh, sorry. Thanks for listening. And oh, hey, go Flames. Hello? Yes? This is Daffy Duck. You say you have a letter for me from the President? You'll bring it right over? Oh, you're the little man from the draft board. Geez, thanks. Oh, the little man from the draft board is coming to see me. Oh, the, 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 the man from the draft board. I remember registering for the selective service the day I turned 18. It was an absolutely idiotic and pointless act for any number of reasons. The first being it was 1987. There hadn't been a draft since 1972. And the numbers drawn that year, they weren't even used. 
The next reason being Congress needed to pass a specific law to order a draft, and they had not. But I think the most idiotic reason was that I was, in fact, already enlisted in the United States military. When I brought this up to my recruiter, he just laughed and said something that I would learn to understand only after I began my time in the military. Fucked up beyond all recognition. Now, over 30 years later, the same rules still apply, but no one's getting drafted. Yet, as the world spirals closer and closer to doom, the same chill of apprehension runs down the spines of 18 to 25-year-olds that ran down the spines from those in, in 1990 during the first Gulf War and 2001 for Afghanistan and 2003 for Iraq Part Two or Electric Fuckaloo. These are all the same. Yes. They are. And as a veteran, it always amuses me to watch these reactions as the soft, safe, and utterly unprepared young men of America come to face with the face to face that, yes, Johnny, there is a drafty clause out there, and if the shit were to really hit the fan, your ass would be in uniform. But I have asthma. Don't worry, Tatum. They'll give you an inhaler for free. Oh, last week, the internet was full of memes talking about what Gen Z would do if Uncle Sam came knocking for Trump's World War III, and they've been highly entertaining. For this week, I thought we might explore the history of the Selective Service, the draft, and what it would really look like if the country suddenly needed tens of thousands of recruits in short order. I mean, that could never happen, right? Probably not, but hey, it's Trump. Never say never. Fortunately for all you young, hip, Gen Z kids out there, President Trump has commissioned our boss, Fast Eddie of Fast Eddie's Podcast Hut Network, to create a brand new educational spot in this here medium to teach you all about the Selective Service, and we're proud to debut it right here tonight for the very first time. Hi there. You look like an 18-year-old male who's a citizen of the United States or a legal resident. And I bet you have questions about your obligation to sign up for the Selective Service. Gosh, mister, do I ever? I'm Selective Sam, the Selective Service Man, and I'm here to tell you all about it. Thanks, Selective Sam. Please do tell me all about it. First of all... The Selective Service is not a draft. It's a list of draft-eligible guys like you to be entered into a lottery for the draft in the event of a national emergency. And only if Congress passes a law first, ordering the draft, and the President signs it. So like a lot of stuff has to happen first then, huh? It sure does, Tommy. But what happens if I don't sign up for the Selective Service, Selective Sam? Oh, Tommy, you don't want to do that. You see, son, failing to register is against the law. It's punishable by $250,000 fine and up to five years in prison. Gee, willikers. I know. And even if you aren't prosecuted, you'll not be eligible for many federal benefits like student loans, job training, or even good government jobs. Like CIA ninja assassin? Ha <laughs> ha, yes, exactly like that. Also, if you're a resident alien, you won't be eligible for citizenship. Though, let's be honest, Tommy, a nice white boy like you has nothing to worry about. Build a wall, right, Selective Sam? Ha ha ha, you're right, Tommy. Brown people are dangerous and possibly the enemy. So what have we learned today, Tommy? Listen to Selective Sam. Do the right thing and sign up when you turn 18. Good job, Tommy. And good job, America. Did I just hear? An accurate description of the selective service process, boys and girls. You've learned something today. Now, 
I know some of you are saying to yourself, Sorry, no girls allowed. Which is a pretty sweet deal for the women of the country, sort of a tiny recompense for being forced into second-class citizen status by the patriarchy. So while the young men of your generation are marched off to die in the desert as part of a forever war, you will have the option of joining. But honestly, why would you want to do something stupid like that? No, you should stay home and wait for the survivors, broken and bitter by combat, to come back and place your life in danger as they struggle with substance abuse and PTSD brought on by the participation of a conflict engineered to further enrich your corporate masters and the further engorgement of the military-industrial complex, just like a good American girl always has generation after generation. Okay. Thanks. I guess. Again, we're almost certainly not going to have a draft after all in stating conscription. It's politically disruptive and largely unnecessary since our volunteer military is constructed on a system that makes the draft largely unneeded since the people most likely to be drafted are the folks who volunteer in the first place. You know, the kids from economically disenfranchised areas with substandard education and few job prospects who've been fed a steady diet of religious indoctrination and patriotic bullshit for generations, who've watched their relatives go off to war and come back, if they come back at all, emotionally damaged and self-destructive, all for a 10% discount at the Waffle House, and on top of their employee discount, because a job at the Waffle House is the only job you can really get after having PTSD in the military, it sounds like a... It's actually a pretty sweet deal for them, Generation Z shouldn't feel at all bad about doubting the government's intentions when it comes to the draft. In fact, they're being patriotic as fuck. Thank you for your service. Americans have loved a good war. It's just that they would much prefer someone else did the fighting. Certainly, some folks are quick to volunteer and do all the hard work of bleeding and dying for their freedom. But most Americans, when they're asked if they want to step up and do the right thing, they're like, uh, Oh, no, I'm saying tonight. I mean, during colonial times, all the able-bodied males, males of a certain age were technically required to be in the local militia, and most were. After all, life on the frontier was dangerous. What with the Native Americans who kind of felt like stealing their land and killing their people was, you know... Extremely uncool. But the local militias had loopholes like anything else. From the writings of a one J.L. Harrison of the University of Maryland Baltimore, Col- Maryland, Baltimore College, quote... The militia tradition in America can be traced back as far as 1632 when the Virginia Assembly had ordered every fit male to take part in military drills after church services. Provincial militias fought Indians, put down slave uprisings, and generally protected the white property families that contributed to his ranks from social disruption. Lacking quality training, provincial militias rarely saw actual combat. And even when the need arose, colonial governments preferred to call up the poor and indigent rather than expose its better classes to any real danger, unquote. So, when the revolutionary kicked off, war kicked off in earnest, the militias were not exactly the stalwart line of defense a lot of history pretends them to be. While George Washington himself had little use of them except for as distractions for, for, from his regular army, and as the war progressed, they became rather the place to be for a certain type of American well-to-do gentleman. You know, the kind that doesn't really want to go to war at all. Jolly good show, Major. And thus was created the idea of joining the National Guard to get out of actually needing to go to war that has worked for so many politically rich and well-connected families throughout the history of our country. According to History.org, while the American soldiers of the regular army were, quote, 
poor and drawn from the disrespected and dispossessed ranks of society, according to historian Holly A. Mayer, and they had little or no property or marketable skill. The pay was poor and often delayed or deferred, discipline was harsh, food meager and sometimes rotten, and clothing and shelter were often insufficient. But for some men, the army was a better and more dependable way of life. John Adams doubted that most men among the gainfully employed and rising middle class could be persuaded to enlist for protracted service when they could remain at home with a better living and more comfortable lodgings, more than double the wages and safety, not exposed to the sicknesses of camp. In Virginia, contemporary observers recommended that the regular forces be recruited among those who could best be spared and will be most serviceable. In short, those lazy fellows who lurk about and are pests to society. Historian John Shy writes of the common revolutionary soldier that, as a group, they were poor, more marginal, less well anchored in society. Perhaps we should not be surprised. It's easy to imagine men like these actually being attracted by the relevant affluence, comfort, security, prestige, and even the chance for satisfying human relationships offered by the colonial army, unquote. Thank you for your service. I mean, at least they got a thank you. The free black folks who fought in the Revolutionary War didn't even get that. After we became a nation... The draft was still not a popular idea. James Monroe tried to conscript 40,000 soldiers for the War of 1812 when the country was literally invaded by the British and the capital burnt to the ground and people were still like, First of all, uh, no. Second of all, hmm, no. In a thundering tirade, Daniel Webster of New Hampshire, the live free or die state, said, quote, The administration asserts the right to fill the ranks of regular army by compulsion. Is this, sir, consistent with the character of free government? Is this civil liberty? Is this the real character of our Constitution? No, sir, indeed it is not. Where is it written in the Constitution? In what article of section is it contained that you may take children from their parents, parents from their children, and compel them to fight in battles in any war in which the folly or the wickedness of government may engage it? Under what concealment has this power lain hidden, which now for the first time comes forth with a tremendous and baleful aspect to trample down and destroy the dearest rights of personal liberty, unquote. It wasn't until the Civil War that the, that the draft became enshrined in law, and even then, only 2% of the Union forces were draftees. Though, of course, another 6% of those forces were substitutions by draftees who paid poor people to go in their place. And you know, if you had 300 bucks, you could just flat out buy your way out of the draft. And I'm so fucking rich! To be fire, however, the money was far more useful than the, to the cause of the Union than some lazy rich fuck whining on about being forced to serve with a common rabble. None of this, of course, stopped Americans from throwing one of the worst riots in American history because of the draft. The New York City draft riots largely made up of angry Irish immigrants burned, burned out many, many buildings, tore down telegraph lines, attacked recruiting and draft stations, and oh, oh yeah, they murdered any African-American they could lay their hands on, including burning down a black orphanage. And you may ask yourself what this had to do with the draft. Well, some of the rioters might have thought the war was because of black people and slavery, but most it was because if they got drafted, they thought that free blacks in the city would take their job while they were off at war. Fucking white people. And don't think our southern brothers were any more stoked to be drafted to save their precious slavery. In fact, when the Confederacy signed its Conscription Act, it was met with violent resistance. I mean, many people said the very act of being drafted in the Confederacy was compared to comparative to being, I don't know, taken a slave. Ironic. 
It is. And while resistance was usually more individual than organized, draft riots did happen in the South. Never fear, though. In the end, the Confederates were just like their northern brothers because the war was fought by the poor, just like up north. Hell, they even wrote a law saying so. From Encyclopedia Virginia, quote, the 20 slave law passed by the Confederate Congress October 11th, 1862, during the American Civil War created an exemption to military conscriptions for owners of 20 or more slaves. The law was controversial in much of the South where it served to exacerbate the certain social rifts and led to claims by drafted soldiers that they were fighting a rich man's war. The law did not generate as much opposition in Virginia, home to the Confederacy's largest population of slaves, however. Supporters viewed the law as essential in guarding against to slave rebellion and maintaining agriculture and industry and therefore the nation's ability to carry on the war effort. It took the First World War to close a lot of the loopholes from the Civil War Draft Act. No more substitutions or payments in lieu of service. It allowed for exemptions for dependency, skilled occupations, and religious objections. And it also created local draft boards, devolving the selection process down to the states and counties on the stated reasons that localities would be best suited to decide cases for draftees in their own neighborhoods. That sounds reasonable. Of course it does, if you don't take into account that the local draft boards were appointed positions by local politicians and had carte blanche to classify potential draftees. And there was no way in hell they were going to send the children of their friends at the country club off to fight in Europe if they didn't want to go. So again, if you had money, you didn't have to go. World War II, the Good War, used the same rules in the same games as the First World War. The only difference being that volunteering was considered quite vogue, and if one wanted to be in politics, one needed to have some time in the military on their resume. So young men of quality volunteered for service. Mind you, the vast majority of them never saw combat, but they did wear a uniform. The country thanks you for your service. And the draft changed little between 1948 and 1970 through Korea, the Cold War, and most of Vietnam. It was still the local draft boards, liberal deferments for those who could afford them, and poor folks, both black and white, doing the actual fighting and dying. One of the odder thoughts on the draft is one that went through the draft, that the draft encouraged people to volunteer for the military. Is that how you think this works? You just... From Wikipedia, quote, the policy of using the draft as a force to compel voluntary enlistment was unique in U.S. history. Previous drafts had not aimed to encourage individuals to sign up in order to gain preferential placement or less dangerous postings. However, the incremental buildup of Vietnam without a clear threat to come to the country bolstered this. Some estimates suggested that conscription encompassed almost one-third of all eligible men between the period of 1965 to 69, and this group represented those without exemptions or resources to avoid military service. During the active combat phase, the possibility of avoiding combat by selecting their service and military specialty led as many as four out of 11 eligible men to enlist. The military relied on the draft-induced volunteerism to make its quotas, especially the Army, which accounted for 95% of all inductees during Vietnam. For example, defense recruiting reports shows that 34% of the recruits in 1964 and up to 50% in 1970 indicated they joined to avoid placement uncertainty via the draft. These rates dwindled to 24% in 1972 and 15% in 1973 after the change to the lottery system. Accounting for the other factors, it could be argued that up to 60% of those who served throughout the Vietnam War did so directly or indirectly because of the draft. It kind of worked. 
It took a decade of protest, a quagmire in Southeast Asia, and a national disgust with war and tricky dick Nixon to finally end the World War I draft system and institute the draft lottery. No exemptions, randomly drawn dates of birth for the draft year were assigned a number, lowest going soonest, until there were enough recruits to create a system that was kind of fair and honest. Naturally, the war ended just as soon as rich fuckers couldn't get out of being drafted. And this is the system that we have today. It was actually Jimmy Carter who reinstated the selective service system, requiring all men to register at 18 for a possible draft. Between 1980 and 1986, there were only 20 indictments for failing to register and 15 convictions, six of which were given probation. The remaining nine, most were sentenced to six months or less, usually serving a fraction of that time. And of those who were sentenced to a year or more, all served less than the year. And would you like to guess how many people we've charged with failure to register since 1986? A whole bunch of white motherfuckers. I'm sorry, the answer we were looking for is none. We would also accept zero, zip, zilch, or nada. A lot of states force you to register for the draft to get a driver's license or other state credentials or aid. And of course, if you've ever applied for a federal student loan, you had to say that you signed up, but I'm not at all clear that you got to submit the paperwork. It looks like they direct you to the website is all, meaning no Gen Z, if you didn't sign, you didn't sign up for the draft when you got your student loan. Indeed, if you haven't registered for selective service and you still got their mo- got your money, it means they're not even really checking to see if you did. The, this foobar. So again, you really got nothing to worry about. Even it, it, it even looks like President likes to grab them because he is one, is backing away from a real conflict with Iran faster than a shit-talking MAGA chud backs away from a black man at least one inch taller than he is. He was a huge, beastly, bulging man. Which is a good thing. The fact that he lacks hair wand on his shriveled, shriveled, droopy old man nutsack is the one thing keeping that fucking tangerine maniac from putting another generation of young American dicks in the sauces greater than the Middle East. Hopefully the Iranians don't want him finding a tiny silver strand on those saggy prune bags and leave things as they are with just the one missile strike and continue to fight. We could continue to fight our war via proxies. A lot of people say that pointing out that he's a pussy, that in which he is, might make him do something crazy, to which I say as compared to what he's doing now. And also... Do you really think he's going to hear this dumb show? I don't know. Maybe we can make it to November with things in stasis and do something about the problem. But if he manages to win in November, y'all best start doing push-ups because the last little shred of sanity keeping him from doing really dumb shit is the fear of losing this election. If he wins, a bunch of y'all are going to find out the thrill of waking up at O-Dark 30 to a bugle and a shouting man with no neck tossing you out of bed. Some of you might experience a kinder and gentler experience in another service, but trust me, I was in the kindest, gentlest service of them all in a kinder and gentler time, and you do not want to spend eight weeks waking up to shouty men and bugles playing. It's been 30 years, and I still wake up from time to time with a start, and I'm halfway out of my bed grabbing, dropping my cock and driving my socks when I'm hearing this fucking sound. So again, if you're a young person, you should really get out and vote for anyone but Trump this fall because the war is, a war is full of veterans who thought a war could never happen. And because as a veteran, I was taught to hope for the best but plan for the worst, I'm going to offer you, my young friends, 
some advice from your hated adversaries, the boomers, the last generation to experience the draft. If you do face the draft, admittedly, it's probably because of something they did. Do not blame us Gen Xers. We have no political power and we have no advice for living through a war. So take what help you can from where you can get it. This is from a 1966 pamphlet by a guy named Tall Cupberg and Robert Bachelow titled 1001 Ways to Beat the Draft. And I called some applicable suggestions for you, Generation Z. Please enjoy. Number four, die. Number five, become Secretary of Defense. Number six, become Secretary of State. Number 12, attempt to overthrow the government by violence or force. Number 26, Marry your mother. 27, marry your father. Number 38, proclaim that you are the living God. Number 52, tell the draft board you will send your mother to fight in your place. Number 79, write a best-selling novel portraying the CIA as incompetent. Number 86, learn to talk with your anus. Number 89, when you reach the age of 17, don't grow any older. Number 97, when the doctor tells you to spread your cheeks, let him see the firecracker you've planted there. Number 106, write a satirical pamphlet purported on advising young men on how to breathe the draft. Number 110, hand out copies of your pamphlet at the induction center. When it tells you you can't do that, ask if it's okay if you can sell them. Number 120, steal a laser and fight it out with the CIA. Number 135, offer the shrink $2 to perform an unnatural act on their person. Number 170, chew tobacco with your ass, and when the proctologist examines you, spit it out. Number 233, become obese. Note, many of you are doing this already, so good job. Keep it up. Number 298, disguise yourself as a coward because all you really want to do is not get killed. Number 320, grow another penis. I don't know if this would work or not, but I thought I would include it. Number 344, shit with fright all over the induction center. Number 401, demand to see the man responsible for the war. This is called the going Karen option. Number 462, show them your peace button. Number 463, explain to them that having your guts bayoneted out makes you sick to your stomach. Number 516, become an atheist because there are no atheists in foxholes. Number 601, be carried in on a crucifix. Number 611, make a bet with the induction officer that your dick is bigger than his. Number 643, tell them if they don't leave you alone, you will reveal who killed Kennedy. In your case, you would substitute Jeffrey Epstein. 695, demand to make your phone call and to see a lawyer. 716, knock at least one thing off every desk as you pass at the induction center. Number 767, refuse to have your photograph taken, stating that you don't want them to steal your soul. Number 782, be so ugly you fail even army standards. And let me tell you, those are pretty low. Number 814, be scared. Necessity is the mother of invention. Number 906, say you'd rather dodge the draft than dodge bullets. Number 973, tell them you are last in war, first in peace, and then run to wherever the young girls are. And number 1001, bring peace and strike joy into the universe. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That is it for our show this week. Clearly, I do not want us to go to war, and I don't want anyone to be drafted, but I do admit to enjoying the fuck out of watching the Youngs freak out about it. It's the closest thing I ever experienced was when the rumor ran wild that they were going to call up the individual ready reserve after 9-11, and I was still in the individual ready reserve at the time, and I didn't feel too good about it. It was different because, you know, 9-11, and I almost actually re-enlisted when that happened, but I wised up and dodged a bullet there. Speaking of dodging a bullet, this show has been all fucked up the past week or so because of an RSS feed issue, and I was thinking about transferring my hosting, and I started to do it and then did, and then I fucked it up really bad. Do not do anything with Anchor. They just shit all over my RSS feed. It should have been fixed days ago, but it is fixed now, and I promise not to fuck with it again. I want to reach out to the listener who actually reached out to me and said told me about it i feel extremely validated as a podcast host by your contribution speaking of validating my ego rate and review the show wherever you get your pods it helps others find it and affirm my existence with their download numbers another great way to stroke my fragile ego is to follow the show on twitter the hell underscore podcast and retweet me a lot i guess you could also like a page on facebook Check out whatthehellpodcast.com for some shareable content and kick us a buck or two on patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. So for me, Dave, only 18 with a ruptured spleen, Bledsoe producer, always carries a purse, Gavin, and all the fictional workers at the defense plant, we want to say, if you ever start a war without the blood and gore, we'll be the ones to go. And we'll see you all next week. Spleen and I always carry a purse. I got eyes like a bat, my feet are flat, and my asthma's getting worse. Just think of my career, my sweetheart, dear, my poor old invalid aunt. Besides, I ain't no fool, I'm a going to school and I'm working in a defense plant. I got a dislocated disc and a racked up back, I'm allergic to flowers and bugs. When the bombshell hits, I get epileptic fits and I'm addicted to a thousand drugs. I got the weakest woes, can't touch my toes, I can hardly reach my knees. And if the enemy came close to me, I'd probably start to sneeze. Sarge, I'm only 18, I got a ruptured spleen and I always carry a purse. I got eyes like a bat, my feet are flat and my asthma's getting worse. Just think of my career, my sweetheart dear, my poor old... I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. <laughs> <laughs>